Food allergies are a very serious and often life-threatening concern for much of the population. Uh, food liability is also a big concern for commercial kitchens, restaurants, etc. That, you know, something, you know, maybe a peanut or something peanut-related or nut-related gets into a dish. Uh, someone ingests it. Obviously, it's not good for the person who ingests it, nor the person who ends up uh, giving that person that uh, said product. They also suffer the consequences. It's never good. Um, there's a brand new company in Colorado called Carefree Cuisine that aims to uh, really kind of curb that and become the one-stop shop for meals for people who have food sensitivity. And by food sensitivity, I mean uh, the top eight food allergens, which are soy, dairy, eggs, fish, selfish, nuts, tree nuts, and wheat. Carefree Cuisine is a place that packages these meals and gives you a one-stop shop to come and get a meal prepared uh, that has none of the food food allergens and you can safely consume your food and it's very tasty as well. They have a brand new uh, combination called Carefree Harvest and which is a healthy options like for fat or calories if you're concerned about that as well. And soon they will have keto-friendly uh, high-protein uh, mixes that, that you would really, really enjoy. They're at uh, carefreecuisine.com if you want to contact them. They're info at carefreecuisine.com. They have an, uh, their physical store is 3615 West Bowles Avenue, Unit 1, Littleton. And uh, it's a great place. And I, I really encourage everyone to go check it out. Uh, proud partner of uh, the Mortcast, and uh, it's just great. I support Colorado startups. Carefree Cuisine at carefreecuisine.com. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, or rather, Know Your History, Episode 4. I can't believe we've got to four of these. Um, I, I was actually looking, I, was, I, I had podcast uh, block, uh, this last week, and I was really trying, struggling with find, you know, trying to find what I was going to talk about. And then uh, my friend Les Shapiro, who is uh, retiring here, um, he's going to be doing podcast things, but um, <clears throat> he's uh, kind of suggested to me that I do something on the Nuggets and Lakers um, from, let's see, uh, all their playoff history, I should say. Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Podcast block is still real. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting to me because the Lakers really have the Nuggets number in many ways. And most of it's because the, the times the Nuggets have played them in their NBA history um, in the playoffs, by and large, has been at their peak. Um, whenever they've had their big moments and big, big players, uh, you know, it's whether it be the Showtime Lakers or the Kobe era uh, Lakers, it is just, it's, it's bad luck on the Nuggets part. It's kind of like the Nuggets facing the Spurs when Tim Duncan and Mando Ginobili and Tony Parker were there. And it's just, it's bad luck. And they never had the better team. In the Lakers, in the case against the Lakers, um, the Nuggets had three playoff uh, series where they probably could, of the six they played at the Lakers, they probably could have taken advantage of um, the circumstances and won, and one series where they were the titular favorites, and that was uh, their first matchup against the Lakers all the way back in 1979. Uh, in 1979, the Lakers uh, were not the Lakers that they became just in that off season when Magic Johnson came aboard and they immediately won a title. The 1979 Lakers basically were 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and maybe Gus Williams. And it really wasn't an impressive team. I believe they won 47 games that year, same as the Nuggets. The Nuggets in 1979 um, were going through a big process of change that was going to culminate into the early 80s. Um, the problem the Nuggets had was the after the disappointing end of the 1978 season where they lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Seattle Supersonics, um, Carl Shearer had decided to trade... Bobby Jones, uh, and he traded him for a someone who was heading to over the hill, uh, a former superstar, George McGinnis. Uh, McGinnis had won two titles with the Indiana Pacers and had spent uh, his NBA years with the Philadelphia 76ers and uh, uh, Dr. J, and he had gone to the 1977 finals with Dr. J. Um, it, is, it was a... George McGinnis, who Dan Isler talked to me about, and he said in McGinnis he enjoyed playing with him. Um, problem was it wasn't a fit for the Nuggets, and McGinnis was known for not always playing exactly hard. Combine that with the fact that Larry Brown kind of freaked out. Um, there's a great article in Sports Illustrated um, about that, a contemporaneous article that uh, I highly suggest everyone check out about that Denver Nuggets team that was going through that change. The Nuggets were considered, and this is something that for people to kind of get their heads around, the Nuggets were one of the best teams in the NBA and were considered as such when they entered in from the ABA. And their run of success was pretty pretty astounding considering that they, they were just coming off from a new league. There was a lot of restrictions, a lot of financial restrictions placed on ABA teams. And the 78-79 season was the third season after the merger. The... Uh, Nuggets went into that year with an okay team, but Larry Brown uh, was going through his freakout, like as he's wont to do, and uh, tried several times to trade uh, Dan Essel to, uh, to, <laughs> to the objection of uh, team GM and president and owner, uh, Carl Shear, and it was not something that was going to happen, and Brown wanted it to happen, Shear didn't. Brown quits with, I believe it was a 27-25 and 25 record. And a very thoroughly mediocre record. Um, Donnie Walsh, who later became an executive with the Indiana Pacers and New York Knicks, um, was the assistant coach, lead assistant after Doug Moe left, and he became the head coach after that. And he actually managed to guide the Nuggets to a 20-10 and 10 record, finishing out the year. 19-10 and 10 record, finishing out the year, uh, which was really good. Then the Nuggets won 47 games and were the fourth seed, and the Lakers won 47 games and were the fifth seed. Nuggets had home court advantage, uh, and in the first round, then back then the first rounds were three games. Nuggets took care of business in the first game, lost the second game, and the third game came down to a 10-foot Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot with, I believe, 10 or 12 seconds left on the clock for the game, and that won them the game. Uh, I remember Dan Issel, uh, the statistics from this, I don't remember this, obviously, because I was one years old when this uh, series happened, but um, Dan Issel had a uh, great series, uh, particularly that game one, 
Um, and David Thompson was still functional enough at that point to uh, have a, a, a good series. McGinnis was always injured and in and out and all that stuff. It wasn't much of a factor. Um, and the Nuggets probably should have won that series. In fact, you could argue that, obviously, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar hook shot uh, with, with uh, 12, 10 or 12 seconds left, obviously, that changed the history there. And really, that Nuggets team should have won. They were a better team than that Lakers team, which was a thoroughly mediocre team. All right, it was a thoroughly mediocre team, with uh, Kareem not really able to lift them above where they were. They really needed Magic Johnson, who came in on aboard a couple months later. Um, it really was the result of, of Kareem just not being able to lift as much as uh, Magic was, and. Uh, but the Nuggets should have won that. And then I believe the Lakers uh, subsequently lost to the, uh, uh, I believe they lost to the Sonics in the next round. And uh, it just, the Nuggets, I don't know if they would have beat the Sonics because they went on to win the title that year. But I think that maybe it was a better situation, a, 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 a situation where the Nuggets should have won, could have won, probably, you know, it is what it is. Um, that Nuggets team was, Going through a significant change in the next season, uh, the 79-80 season would be a, a really kind of very poor season. I believe they missed the playoffs that year. And then the season after that, um, McGinnis gets traded. And, uh, well, I believe actually, no, it was that following season McGinnis gets traded. Alex English comes aboard and sets the table for the 80s. There you go. Uh, I'm going to avoid talking about the Western Conference Finals uh, in 85 and the 87 series. Um, the 85 um, Western Conference Finals I will cover in a separate Know Your History uh, once the playoffs begin. Uh, it's got enough dynamics in it to really kind of get, have warrant its own podcast. The 87 series is best not left, not mentioned, other than the fact that um, Doug Moe, the Nuggets won 37 games that year in 87 and somehow got into the eighth spot. Okay. Um, it's notable because Doug Moe, before the series started, said we got no shot, which apparently really upset Pat Riley. <laughs> um, if you talk to anyone who was around at the time, say that Pat Riley was really pissed off that uh, Moe had the temerity to say that the Nuggets going into the series had no shot. And I think that that really always stuck with Pat Riley um, after that. Um, and it's interesting enough, the following year, the Nuggets won 54 games, uh, 17 more games than they did before, the year before. And I believe they split the season series with the, the 87-88 Lakers that year uh, in one of the best seasons in NBA history for the, for the league in general, uh, which I believe had 27 teams at the time. Um, there were 23 teams at the time, excuse me. It was the last year before expansion. Um, and there was, let's just say that, uh, that, that season had more 50 win teams than I think than any year before, uh, and since, uh, were a lot of parody, a lot of stars, but the Nuggets didn't face the Lakers that year. The Nuggets didn't, uh, actually play the Los Angeles Lakers in the playoffs until, uh, 2008, uh, that there was a big gap there and I'm not going to cover the embarrassing 2008 series. Um, we all know what happened there. Um, but that led to the changes that were spurred on that eventually got the Nuggets to the 2008-2009 season. 
Uh, obviously, all of us know that the, the big changes were trading Marcus Camby for a pile of hair, basically. And uh, two or three games into the 2008 season, trading Allen Iverson for uh, Chauncey Billups and Antonio McDice. I talked to you about the McDice trade uh, in my last Know Your History. Um, Chauncey comes in, reestablishes a winning culture with the team, and the team just really quickly coalesced around Chauncey Billups. And that team headed to the playoffs with a 54 wins and two seed in the Western Conference. Um, the Nuggets quickly went through, and really the, the, the series totals, which I believe are both 4-1, don't indicate how much the Nuggets just thoroughly dominated uh, the first two series. Uh, it wasn't even close. Um, and Nuggets probably should have swept the Mavs. And I'm surprised they didn't sweep the injury-riddled, uh, hating their coach, uh, New Orleans Hornets, in the first round. Uh, they get to the Western Conference Finals against the hated Lakers. And one of the big... One of my big issues with the way that series played out was the Nuggets... I think, and this is just my opinion, this is Jeff's opinion I'm putting into You Know Your History. Nuggets were the better team that year. Um, the Nuggets had a more... more. They, they had a... I can't say they had a better team, but they had more talent. Okay, let's put it to you that way. They had more talent. The Nuggets were brimming with talent on that 2008-2009 team. Okay. Um, the problem was when they got to the second unit, they would have brain farts. And people uh, will point to the two inbounds passes as a reason the Nuggets lost. I submit to you that in game three, where the Nuggets lost because of a poor in inbounds pass from uh, Kenyon Martin, I submit to you that it is not necessarily that that cost them the game. It was a J.R. Smith flagrant foul at the very end of the third quarter in that game on, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> the guy, the, the mop top, uh, Eastern European. Oh my God. It's going to bug, bug me. Um, anyway, the flagrant foul that he committed, Sasha Vujicic, Sasha Vujicic. Okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> the foul he committed on Vujicic for whatever reason, Flagrant foul at the end of the third quarter is the reason the Nuggets lost that game. Uh, the Nuggets were up by, I think, two or three at the time, maybe even four, and that flagrant foul turned, turned the quarter. All right. It, it just, it, it was, there was no need for it, and, and it was one of the biggest brain farts in Nuggets history. Um, which, is, uh, obviously, knowing J.R. Smith's history is not surprising. Um, there was no reason for him to foul Vujicic in the way he did. It was just a, a, he lost his cool and suffered the consequences. And that set the table for that third quarter. Now, the game one, the game one inbound pass is more directly a cause and effect. Uh, Anthony Carter should not have been inbounding the ball. Uh, you don't need someone who is that short, um, Inbounding the ball and the Nuggets, as famously, and this is this is a fault of George Carl. Uh, during that year, uh, there was an article that came out from and that featured a quote from Chauncey Billups, and I believe it was the Tom Friend 
article that he did, a big feature about Chauncey coming back to Denver. And uh, it was it was stated in there that uh, George never drew up inbounds plays. And Chauncey had to draw them up himself, according to Chauncey. Well, coming back to that game one, it was very clear that there was no real object for Anthony Carter other than to inbound the ball. That was essentially it. There was no actual play drawn up. And it seemed that that was reflected in Carter's inability to get there. Then Trevor Ariza steals the ball, and history plays out the way it does. Now, even if the Nuggets got that ball inbounds, that doesn't necessarily mean they would have won the game. But it's more directly as a, as a cause than what happened in Game 3. Um, regardless of all this, the Nuggets won Game 2 impressively. Impressively won Game 2 um, in a, at, at Staples Center in a, in a really kind of a collective effort um, featuring Lennis Klaza, who uh, came off the bench in the second quarter and almost single-handedly brought the Nuggets back from a like a twelve-point deficit, uh, heading into um, the third, the second half, where the Nuggets were down by two, and that also features famously um, uh, Chauncey Billups throwing a pass off the back of of Kobe Bryant, and then with like no time left and getting the ball uh, for two points, that was pretty incredible. Um, but it, it was a collective team effort that was really, really good. Of course, we talked about Game 3. Um, game 4, the Nuggets just absolutely annihilated the Lakers, pulling away in the fourth quarter. And um, it was the famous, famous for J.R. Smith's chicken walk by the, by the Lakers bench after putting the Nuggets up 20 um, after he hit a 3. It was, it was one of those games where everything was going right. And interestingly enough, after having a monster first couple games um, against the Lakers in Game 1 and Game 2, probably the best games of Melo's career. I'm going to throw that out there right now. Game 1 and Game 2 against the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, probably the best games of Melo's career. A combination of rebounding, defending, and shooting and scoring that I haven't seen from Melo. He even was kind of a playmaker in that series. Um, Not necessarily you know, a, a prime playmaker, but more than Melo usually uh, did other than score. Um, and then ga- subsequently in game three, he had a worse game. In game four, he had an even worse game. But he, the Nuggets won by 19, and the, the teams were tied 2-2 heading into uh, the pivotal game five. Game five is notable for this reason. It was, I believe, a four- or five-point game heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, the Lakers ahead. And the Nuggets completely fell apart in that fourth quarter <clears throat> in a way that I think people were really kind of not prepared for how thoroughly the Nuggets were going to fall apart in that fourth quarter. I believe that is the quarter where, at one point, uh, Ken Martin gets a foul for grabbing onto Paul Gasol's leg. 
it wasn't great. Um, the Nuggets were so thoroughly, and I believe they lost that game by 10, but they were so thoroughly not prepared for that fourth quarter that it was really embarrassing. And if you really want to look at to where the Nuggets lost the series, it was that game. It was that. It was the fourth quarter of game five. If the Nuggets hold themselves together, make it a game, keep it close to the end, they may even pull that off and they head back to Denver for game six ready to win. They fell apart. And that portent kind of manifests itself in game six where the Nuggets were never in it from the jump. And that part is the hardest to swallow. It's because everyone knew, as I said starting this series, everyone knew the Nuggets were at the very least the more talented team. Not in this, I mean, obviously the Lakers had Kobe and they had uh, Lamar Odom and they had um, uh, Pau Gasol, who was still prime Pau Gasol then. But the Nuggets had across the board, in their starting unit and in their bench unit, a more talented and more deep team. This is, un- I, don't, I don't think this, you can even dispute this. Um, but the Nuggets let it get away. And that is a great example of a team letting a game get away, letting a series get away that they had. And there is no doubt, there is no doubt that this Nuggets team should have won that series. There are obviously Lakers fans who dispute this, but I don't see any way they can convince themselves that they look at this and then think that the Nuggets, putting aside the two inbounds passes, a failed fourth quarter in Game 5 really is the difference. Uh, and then they just gave up in, in Game 6. I, that was the, one of the more pathetic efforts I've ever seen in an elimination game in my life. Um, that was disappointing. And then obviously the next year was the big drama year with uh, Car- the Nuggets having an even better team. But George Carl falling victim, not victim, but getting cancer and then having to leave and then him choosing Adrian Dantley as his interim coach. The Nuggets kind of falling apart down the stretch and losing in the first round to Utah, which really is the impetus for Melo to leave. Um, fast forward a couple of years. The NBA has itself a lockout uh, that condensed the season from 82 games to 66 in 2012. The 2012 season was an interesting one. The Nuggets, I believe, won 30, 36 games that year, something like that. Um, and it was, it was weird for everyone. There was a lot of back-to-back-to-backs. They condensed the season. And, but it was one of those, this is post-Mellow Trade team, right? So the trade that happened the year before, you had the lockout, and then this is really, quote, the first full season, quote-unquote, of this. And you're having a roster that featured um, Ty Lawson, Danilo Gallinari, a recently traded for JaVale McGee, uh, Timofey Mozgov, Costa Kufas, Chris Anderson. No, Chris Anderson was gone. Chris Anderson was on the team, but he wasn't playing. I should put it that way. Um, It was a mismatch and a hodgepodge. And you also had Rudy Fernandez, who I believe by this point was still out with his back. Um, 
it was a transition team between the one that would kind of evolve into the 57-win team the next year. This Nuggets team, and particularly entering that playoffs, there wasn't a ton of expectation. Uh, the previous year, the team, the, the traded player team, had managed to win 50 games against all odds, and the, despite the mellow trade being hovering over everyone. And then they entered the playoffs and lost to the uh, up-and-coming Oklahoma City Thunder. But you could see kind of some kernels of a good team. They were a feel-good team. The next year, the Nuggets kind of, you know, ebbed and flowed. The first round was against the Lakers, and the Lakers were coached by Mike Brown. The uh, Lakers suffered a first-round defeat against the Dallas Mavericks the year before. Or, no, excuse me, second-round defeat against Dallas Mavericks the year before. It was sweep. It was a sweep, and this led to Phil Jackson retiring. And after a uh, extensive coaching search, they settled on Mike Brown and his Princeton offense. Where they struggled was they were an approximation of the triangle, but not really the triangle. No one was around to manage. Uh, the ego of a increasingly disinterested Andrew Bynum. Pau Gasol still had hurt feelings over the Chris Paul, not you know, no trade, and uh, Kobe was still Kobe, but he wasn't Kobe. Kobe. Uh, Kobe. Kobe was basically not there anymore, and he was beginning his decline. Still good. Still really good. But not the Kobe you saw you once knew. Um, nevertheless, the three-seeded Lakers faced the six-seeded Nuggets. And it, what ensued was one of the more entertaining series I've ever seen. Um, the Nuggets got down 0-2 in L.A. Uh, pretty resounding wins by the Lakers. Uh, the team actually heads back to Denver and the Nuggets end up winning game three. Uh, it was a huge blowout win for the Nuggets. Um, not a huge, huge blowout, but it was a big blowout. In game four, with the chance to tie the series 2-2, a series of calamitous events at the end of Game 4, including an attempted flop by Danilo Gallinari that wasn't called, wasn't called a foul on Pal Gasol, who was trying to draw a foul on Pal Gasol near the half-court line, um, resulted in the Nuggets not winning the game. Um, they were down 3-1. And what followed was two of the most crazy games in Nuggets playoff history I've ever seen. Um, the Nuggets entered game five basically on the ropes. Well, they were on the ropes. It was an elimination game. Uh, Andrew Bynum says, we know what to do in elimination games. Teams just tend to fold. That's a paraphrase of his uh, comments. Well, this Nuggets team went into it with nothing to lose. And with uh, a very out-of-nowhere great game from one JaVale McGee. 
JaVale had himself a third and fourth quarter for the ages. Uh, I believe he, he finished with over 20 points, was dominating the boards. Uh, it, it was just, it was incredible. Nuggets don't win that game without JaVale McGee. And it was one of the more wacky, zany games I have ever seen in Nuggets history. There was no reason they should have won that game, considering they were down 3-1. No one expected them to win that. And I I remember we had a stiff night out that night, uh, seven years ago, eight years ago, excuse me. Um, And it was, everyone there could not believe it. It was a, it was a surreal scene. Uh, And it was the JaVale McGee game. He had a couple big blocks, uh, great hustle plays, and it was he played the best game of his career by far that night. I've never seen JaVale McGee play that night that way. And in fact, you could argue that that game alone caused Masai Ujiri to give him uh, the biggest contract he will ever have in his life. That propelled the Nuggets into Game 6, and the Nuggets took advantage of Game 6. Now, Kobe had the flu in this game, and people were all like, oh, is he going to do the Jordan flu game? Is he going to have the best game of his life? No, he didn't. In fact, the Nuggets throttled, throttled the Lakers that night uh, in what is probably one of Ty Lawson's peak moments. Um, Tremendous, tremendous game. Tremendous game. Uh, one of one of Ty's best performance, and Danilo Gallinari had a comeback performance in that game. Um, it was you know, everything was clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Timofey Mozgov had a huge had a huge dunk, and and quite frankly, by the second half, it was garbage time. Uh, that's how thoroughly the Nuggets beat the Los Angeles Lakers in that game in order to tie the series at three. The problem with Game Seven. And something that still sticks in my craw was the return of one Metal World Peace, a.k.a. Rana Artest, after a six-game suspension, after this is the suspension where he elbowed James Harden in the face, okay? Um, And he was, for whatever reason... They made it a six-game suspension. In a twist of cruel fate, or maybe even planned irony, Artest comes back for Game 7. He locks down Danilo Gallinari, who has a terrible, terrible game. And the Nuggets lose by not much. It was like it was 10 points. But it was a dominated game. And it was led by Mr. World Peace coming back and just dominated, dominated Gallo to the point where he was completely ineffective and uh, really made for the Nuggets having no shot in that game. And it still ticks me off that the NBA did not make it a seven-game suspension. They had to have known that if there was a game seven, our test would be coming back. And Metal World Peace, excuse me, coming back in that game really is the coup de grace. 
Uh, I am convinced if, if uh, he does not come back, the Nuggets win that series, period. If he does not come back at that game, he win, we, the Nuggets win that, that game and proceed to go to the second round. And I would say that the 2012 Nuggets and the, two, and the 1979 Nuggets are probably the closest the Nuggets came to actually beating the Lakers in a series. Um, you could argue the best team was 2009, and the second best team was 1985. Those were different series against different teams. But there you are. And the Nuggets are now 06 with the Los Angeles Lakers. And there's three series where the Nuggets probably should have won, or at the very least could have won. And hopefully the Nuggets' history does not repeat itself. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Know Your History. Hope you got some education there and got to relive some maybe painful memories. I'm so sorry. I'll be back with another one soon. Take care.